0: Welcome to Watch It Baptist Church online. My name is Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and this is the third in our five part series looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, a book perhaps not so often looked at in preaching but one which I think has a lot to offer. Our series is called Life in All Its Fullness, not least because what the main voice in Ecclesiastes does is really give an honest appraisal of what complete, total life is actually like but also because we're borrowing that phrase from jesus who wants us to experience a fulfilled and abundant life through him and that to be the case in spite of the challenges that regular ordinary everyday life bring us the book of ecclesiastes is not always the most joyous of books it has been thought of as in turns either quite depressing or quite um Uh, way too permissive uh, in terms of life's enjoyment Uh, and yet I believe that it's in the Bible for a good reason it's been agonised over for whether it's included or not I think it's right that it's here Uh, and I think it's good for us to look at what the word that's used for um, translated as a teacher in the New Living Translation that I'm mostly working from uh, what he has to say and, and to use it as an opportunity to reflect on how we respond to real everyday life and where god has a place in it i'm going to pray and i'm going to read two passages from chapters eight and nine of ecclesiastes lord would you open your heart to us that we might see the depth of your character and the depth of your love for us and how big your grace is you also open our hearts or allow our hearts to be opened by you that we might find comfort in your presence and also be challenged with the reality of what it means to have God in our lives amen so I'm reading uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 8 uh, verses 14 to 17 and then from chapter 9 verses 11 to 16 And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. So I recommend having fun. Because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. In my search for wisdom, and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discover that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realise that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. From 9.11-16. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in the net or birds in a trap. People are caught by sudden tragedy. Here is another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I have watched the way our world works. There was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor wise man knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued, but afterward no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. We're talking this time round, in this part three, about Cahelet, this teacher character at the heart of Ecclesiastes, as a kind of a cynic. And, and he's asking a question about how much we can actually really know. The reality that we're faced with here is the reality of mystery. Particularly that second passage really drives home the idea that it doesn't matter how well prepared you are, how well organised your life is, or even how much skill or intelligence you have or strength even, things are going to happen to you that make a mockery of all your preparations and all your certainties. And I think part of what this does is, is go back again to, to what we've seen before, which is Kahelet's kind of critique of traditional wisdom literature, of the, the Proverbs approach. So it's not that he's saying that Proverbs is misleading or that it's inherently wrong, but he is saying Um, It doesn't always work as tidily as that. Certainly when you look around you at different expressions of Christianity around the world, some of them are really keen to suggest that if we really place our trust in God and properly give our hearts to him that nothing bad will ever happen. Nothing wrong will ever come to our door. It's interesting to come across some of this. Sometimes and others refer to it sometimes as, as kind of propositional faith. So propositions are kind of expressed truths or theories. And you can easily get to the point of thinking, well, faith is really about what the statements are that we agree with, or the statements that we make, and whether they are um, on some level kind of properly faithful. And I think part of what Kehelet does here is say, look, what what does really matter? What actually is the things that make the difference. I think in some ways it has much more to do with uh, shall we say trust rather than faith. It's not that I'm saying that faith isn't important and can be left behind, but faith can very often be a, a little bit of a of an intellectual exercise, you know, what what do I believe? What um, what concepts do I agree with? Maybe that's a good way of putting it. And I think that part of what Cahelet encourages us to do is, is to take a step back from those and say, what do I trust? Not what do I think, but what do I trust? And this takes us back to, a, and I think I've quoted before, a, a tutor when I was at Bible College called Dotha who, who insisted that the majority of Christians are functionally atheists because when they say that they have faith, the way they live actually shows what they put their trust in. And very often... They put their trust first in other things like income or um, house insurance or uh, whatever it might be. Um, how many children they have or, or where they live or what their next job might be. Well actually the reality is that following God and living alongside Jesus is much more about where our trust is placed. Some some ways we have to ask ourselves this question. How much of a difference does it make how much we know? How important is an extent of knowledge? Now, I think it is important. I think the Bible tells us this. I think our knowledge of God is crucial. And our understanding of the Bible is vital because through that we understand the character of God. And we understand his intention for humanity. But I still think that part of what Kohelet is saying is be careful. How much emphasis you place on the things you can acquire or the things or the ways in which you've developed. How smart am I? How strong am I? How resilient am I? All these things are good, but they shouldn't be decisive. It's interesting that Gehele asked this question because really um, the Adam and Eve story in Genesis picks this up, or rather, it's picked up from that story. So, in the middle of that, in in the sort of crucial pivotal moment of that story is the point where Eve is asked as her husband sits nearby presumably um, did God really say and then and then the, the the tempting serpent says actually God doesn't want you to have the kind of knowledge that he has but you can have that knowledge if you eat from this tree this fruit so it's the search for knowledge it's the search for being able to be on God's level with our level of understanding there is the problem that's the the temptation and the challenge that leads Eve to eat that fruit and disobey God in the process the search for knowledge really is a search for some level of control and we've seen in our previous parts uh, in this series that our sense of control isn't appropriate in a world where we don't really have any where randomness brings things into our life where time rolls on and death will come our level of control is really quite limited it's particularly I think limited to how we respond to the current moment John Goldingay who I know I've referred to previously writes that Ecclesiastes forms a warning for humanity not to think that we have the truth all buttoned up in other words it's a challenge to the idea that anyone can say I've landed this thing. I know how this works. There is no uncertainty for me anymore. Certainly, when I grew up, there was a, a pattern of faith that kind of said, um, doubt is a bad thing. If you're not sure about your faith, then, then you're somehow failing. And I think it doesn't leave us any room for that. I think he says, mystery is appropriate. Not knowing, not understanding, recognising that life is like vapour or, or mist or smoke it is enigmatic it is mysterious it isn't possible to grab hold of because um that that sense of vapor is is the word hevel which gives us meaningless all the way through Ecclesiastes in the uh Star Trek Next Generation series and in the movie First Contact as well um there are these encounters with an alien species called the Borg and the Borg's way of operating is to sweep into a, a, a solar system or a, 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 a arrive at a planet and recognise that there is a distinctiveness there and that that distinctiveness can bring um, enhancement to the Borg and so they assimilate everybody all their knowledge all their understanding everything is, is taken and uh, each individual either dies or becomes another Borg they're sort of transformed to become sort of half um, half artificial as life forms and the, the sort of catchphrase or the, the, the operating principle of the Borg is resistance is futile, don't fight back because it won't work, there is no point at all, it's all futility if you try and push back against us because we won't be stopped and generally speaking that works of course our heroes find a way to overcome that but that futility is well expressed and there are moments in that film and moments in the TV series where you just think yeah there there is no stopping them they're like a a big tidal wave that just washes over everything fighting it is meaningless futile futility is something that uh, the teacher, Cahelet in this uh, Ecclesiastes um, the majority of the book has a lot to talk about he, he, he perhaps doesn't use the word futile quite so much but certainly in the passages that we looked at earlier he is saying what's the point in, in trying to make sense of these things trying to get things to fit patterns is futile trying to get everything to go into a box the right size and shape for it is futile you might as well try to hold back the ball you might as well try to fight the tide Voltaire, the philosopher, um, said this. Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. There is no point pretending, trying to pretend, that we can be sure about really anything at all. And Cahelet, as a cynical voice, but also an honest one, really wants us to get hold of the idea that we don't need to try to cut off mystery that actually it's appropriate for us to live with mystery surrounding us. We've said before, Ecclesiastes is quite opposed to that oversimplified voice of, of, of Job's comforters in the book of Job, where they say, look, we can make perfect sense of this. We know exactly how things are, why things have gone bad. It's all down to you, isn't it? Because this is how it works. It's, it's an assumption that our relationship with God is quite transactional. We do A, so he does B. Or if we do X, then he has to do Y. But what Kehelet is saying is that, that it doesn't work. All you've got to do is observe life, and you see that things don't fit that kind of tidy pattern. Tim Minchin, who's a, a composer and a sort of comedy writer uh, who wrote the music for the Matilda musical, said so this trying to work out where you find meaning and sense in a meaningless world is my obsession. Now, it would be easy for us to say, that's to conclude that Kohelet is saying there isn't any meaning to life. I'm not sure he's saying that. I think perhaps what he's saying instead is there is meaning, but there's a good chance you'll never quite get it. You won't know all of it. In fact, in that passage in uh, Ecclesiastes 8 that we read at the start, he says pretty much that if the wisest people may claim that they totally get this, but they don't because you can't because this world doesn't necessarily follow. Meaningful, no predictable, reliable patterns, and and maybe God can't be expected to do that either. He he's not a transactional um, or mechanical being. He's a relational being, and, and we don't live in a mechanical or transactional world. We live in a relational world and a world that's busted because we've chosen as a as a species, humanity, has chosen to do things our own way. So. Stop trying to control your life because you can't. The only control you have is a response to the present moment. What do you do about what's happening to you now? I remember um, as a teenager getting a book from my parents about um, sort of advice for being a grown-up. I think it was called nice Little Instruction Book. Uh, and one of the items in that said... Uh, something like, life is 5% what you do and 95% how you respond to what happens to you. I think that's so important. Albert Camus, another philosopher, said this. Basically, at the bottom of life, which seduces us all, there is only absurdity and more absurdity. And maybe that's what gives us our joy for living because the only thing that can defeat absurdity is lucidity. We live in a completely bonkers world. that doesn't seem to play by any rules and Kehelit's okay with that and Jewish scholars were okay with that being included in the Bible this is part of the revelation that God gives us about the world and his relationship with it and with us and underneath all that absurdity there is only one thing that we can do and that is respond to what we're doing in the moment and give that the best we can give it because that's the only place where we have control this doesn't always feel like a very biblical idea to express but it is it tells us so and we need to then think about how we consider the challenges that that we encounter along the way I um, was bringing a friend of my son's home from cricket the other day and uh, we came across a road closure and a diversion and the diversion was awkward because it took us up a lane that was very narrow and, and if we'd come across anything then it'd been complicated um, but it was also different and interesting and and took us on a road that i'd only ever walked on before i'd never driven on and you kind of think well yeah, the obstacles that, that we encounter in life can be difficult and painful and disruptive but also they give us a chance to do things we wouldn't otherwise do They can be disruptive, but they can also bring that sense of adventure. That is about how we respond in the moment. When we're not certain, we need to be at peace with that. Paul talks about being content in all circumstances, and I think... I think doubt's not our enemy. I think uncertainty is human experience. I think Kohelet tells us this. And the only certainty that counts is God's existence and his character and those things don't change. God isn't going to become a different person. He might not always do things the same way but he is consistent in who he is. And to to refuse to acknowledge the reality of doubt is a dangerous thing. Aldous Huxley, who wrote dystopian literature, uh, said this, a fanatic is a man who consciously overcompensates for a secret doubt and you keep your doubts quiet and inside yourself and you don't acknowledge their reality you try and compensate for them in some way you end up becoming something that you're not because you're hiding a reality that you need to engage with we can become very anxious very worried and upset about what life throws at us and forget that actually God doesn't ask us to get fretful he simply asks us to walk with him and to trust him Jesus in Luke 10 41 tells Martha not to be worried and upset about getting stuff done but just to spend time with him because that's so precious and I suspect because there were never going to be that many opportunities to do it. I've referred to Rob Bell before and I'm going to quote him again just as we come towards the end of this session. Rob Bell says joy is like musculature you can get better at it. In those situations where life is unkind Where it's ruthless, where our uh, sense of heartbreak and loss looms so large in our lives and threatens to overwhelm us. How we respond in that moment, um, or in that situation, or or to those circumstances, is something we absolutely can bring God into. Is a place where Jesus has been, from Hebrews, we know of Hebrews 4, and is able to walk with us compassionately and pastorally, There are opportunities for us to find joy in the middle of that. In fact, I think I said before, joy really has its genuine roots in an honest response to the reality of heartache. Otherwise, joy is a pretend, an actual joy. I don't don't just mean, you know, feeling on top of the world, but, but that sort of joy that is a sense of peace, dancing. That comes from an honest reflection of where we are. And the decision to choose to bring God into it and to not try and control things that we cannot. I'm going to quote finally from um, Ian Proven again. I've quoted from him before. Well, that's a very good commentary on Ecclesiastes. The Bible as a whole sets the entirety of human existence as we know it within the context of such a failed human attempt to become like God as found in Genesis 3. Deriving from a refusal to accept divinely given boundaries. It is against this background that Cahelet speaks, seeking to persuade his hearers of the futility of this ongoing human quest to go beyond divinely set boundaries, and by by giving up that quest to save them from a life that is in itself characterised by futility. If you're always seeking to overcome limits that cannot be overcome, that's madness. Instead, we might hear Jesus' words to Martha and say rather than fretting about all things that might be or that haven't been take this moment to be in God's presence to sit at Jesus' feet and to find contentment there and even joy against the backdrop of genuine mystery let's pray Lord we renew our place in your care We pledge to give up trying to make sense of everything. We pledge to give up that temptation to find everything a neat little face shaped box. But instead to bring to you the chaos and mystery of our lives and entrust them to your care. And we ask that you provide people around us who will help us do that. Not those who necessarily have it all sorted, but those who know what it's like to walk in heartache and loss... And still stay true, trusting in you. Amen. Okay, guys. Some questions. Question one: What are the things that you find yourself wanting to control? In a world of mystery that Khaled opens up for us, in a world of mystery that's, that has borders set by Almighty God, what are the things that you find yourself most wanting to control? Question two, who are the people who are oversimplified in their explanation of what life is like around you? Job had his friends, sometimes called comforters, who came with an oversimplified and unhelpful version of why life for Job was like it was. And Job had to choose to opt out of letting them speak over his life and choose instead to trust God in a way that he knew he could. Who are the people who oversimplify in your life and how might you respond to them in a way that allows for mystery and the presence of God? Question three. How can you work on your joy muscle? How can you exercise it so it gets stronger? The reality of joy is that it has its roots in an honest response to heartache and loss. And in this world that's full of mystery and uncertainty, where, where the only thing we can really be confident of is God's presence and character, the thing that makes the most sense is to respond by enjoying what's in front of us, enjoying the good things that Ecclesiastes, that Kehelet talks about. So there is the opportunity for us to flex those joy muscles with those things that bring us meaning or satisfaction or happiness. How are you? going to exercise flex and strengthen your joy muscles well as ever it's been a pleasure a privilege to walk through uh, this bit of teaching about ecclesiastes with you i trust that god will walk gently and tenderly with you uh, in the days to come and i look forward to joining you again for part four